Broadcasting from the ESPN Radio Studios in Tallahassee, Florida, and in partnership with the JoeBucksFan.com Podcasting Network, this is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast with Tom Lang. Oh, this is a full edition of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Part of the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network brought to you all tournament long by our good friends at Bill Curry Ford. You know them. One mile north of Raymond James Stadium. BillCurryFord.com. They're Tampa's first family in Ford. Woo! So if you want the nerves to settle in, consider this. If you've enjoyed this podcast for any length of time, be it recent or for years, thank you. But consider that this is the last edition before a Stanley Cup champion is crowned. And it could be us. Woo! Buddy. Gals, guys, what do you think? Steven Willis Reed Stamkos, everybody. For you young pups or non-sports historians, look it up. Willis Reed. Because I think that's going to be the storyline. I don't know that we can expect 91 moving forward. But for the two and a half to three minutes he played... Well, they were productive, and that's about as close as I felt as a hockey fan to actually seeing my team win the Stanley Cup, to watch him squeeze through a hip check, fly up the boards, set his sights on the far post, and then bury it with a Hall of Famer shot. I mean, the elation as a Bolts fan in that moment. That's the number one thing I'm always going to remember about that game, and, and there was so much more to it. He, he didn't even play three minutes. He had five shifts. Scored on his third shift. There's a lot more to that game. But you knew it when you saw it. You'll remember where you were, especially if the Lightning win the Cup and the next time we see Stamkos in a jersey is when he has the jersey on to receive the Stanley Cup from Gary Bettman. I mean, that's what you're going to remember is the hope that he would be able to pay off months of physical suffering to get to the point where he could even give it a go and skate. So today I'm going to give you my thoughts on games one, two, and three. I'll come back to Stamkos, give you some context on how he got to where he is, some of the inside stuff I knew. And um, in the second segment, the observations of what needs to happen tactically because of what's happened tactically in the past. Like, what do we need to do moving forward? But we'll start with game one on Saturday. Uh, Before I do that... Uh, three games were available to the Tampa Bay Lightning between the last time we spoke and this morning, which is Thursday, September the 24th. Tampa Bay procured two of those wins. And so, Bon Jovi, anybody? Take my hand. I can't swear we're going to make it just yet. Game one was imminently predictable. Last time I spoke to you was Saturday, the morning of game one. I think the podcast was released early afternoon. And... I looked at that game as one in which results would matter over process. I didn't care how you did it. If you could find a way to win, then style points go out the door. Structure, system, I don't care if they outshot you 42-12 to and you win 2-1. to I don't care. Find a way. Because it was the Islanders and the Lightning Part 2, except, you know, on our skate blades was the rust. Not the Islanders' skate blades. And the Dallas Stars had the rest and the preparation time. They were able to time release their energy, and we were not. And that's how the first two periods looked to me. Two things happened at the same time. Number one, we were tired. Number two, 
The relentlessness and the physicality of Dallas Forecheck did not show up on the film in the way it did in reality. We got smacked in the face. And you could see it on our zone exits. We are so used to, after playing Columbus and Boston, or Columbus and the Islanders, excuse me, we're so used to some angles of passes up the ice, out of our zone into the neutral zone that we could take that Dallas simply will not allow us to have because they'll rush two forwards at all times. So unabated passes, right? Unabated passes out of our zone from our defense to our forwards are not there anymore. Dallas wants to cut off your forecheck earlier in the process, closer to the offensive zone than a Columbus or an Islanders. So we were tired and we were unaware of just how fast and just how relentless and aggressive Dallas was going to be on the forecheck. And we wore it for two periods. We wore it. They were all over us. I thought the turning point was about the five or six minute mark, or I guess that would be the 14 minute mark of said second period of game one. We played a lot better, but the problem was as we were finding our legs and making the adjustments, Dallas scored to make it three to one. It was a bit of a backbreaker goal. You knew that there was a long night in store unless we could get one early in the third period, and we didn't, but we threw the kitchen sink at Hudobin. What this game reminded me of a lot was game one against the Bruins. Remember, Boston jumped all over Tampa Bay in game one. We didn't know that we were going to win that series in five. At the time, you thought, oh, boy. Look at this top line, the perfection line, all over us. We're just slow as molasses. This is not the Columbus Blue Jackets, guys. Wow, you're in trouble. But by the end of game one, you had seen that the Lightning figured out what was necessary in order to play them, especially five on five, and play them well. And what do we parlay that into? A controlled effort in game two in which we dominate the overtime period and win. And then it was the snowball effect, a 4-1 series victory. I don't know that it's going to be a 4-1 series victory here against the Dallas Stars. Again, when you're playing a team that has this mystique about it, the feeling that they're the team of destiny, that they can come back from anything, that's a stronger will than what Boston possessed. I think we hit Boston in the mouth. They didn't know what to do with it at fives. Dallas doesn't care. At any rate, in game one, we figured it out, and Anton Hudobin is the star of that game because if not for him and his toenail saves, his skate blade saves, his collarbone saves, the save on Yanni Gord and the deflection off the shot from Hedman that should have gone five-hole, that game could have easily been tied. You're going into overtime, and Dallas goes, oh, what is this? But their goalie stands tall, and it's a one nothing series lead, a game that Dallas had to have by my estimation and one that they came out and earned through 40 minutes of dogged effort. But we figure them out. And so I had hope for game two. I had a lot of hope. And honestly, in game two, we didn't get what we wanted to see. And by that, I mean the officials put their hands on the first period and steered it in a direction. Thankfully, it was ours, but they steered it in a direction. Then in the second period of that game, the officials put their hands on the game and they steered it in the other direction. Some of those penalty calls were absolutely legitimate fouls. They deserved a minor. Some of the other penalty calls, one on Dallas, one on Tampa in particular, were reserved for a Wednesday night in October. You know, like the normal October when it's the regular season. When they're trying to create a point of emphasis to set the tone for an 82-game season. Not the Stanley Cup Finals. So I found it really hard to assess game two other than this. First five to seven minutes, we did look a little bit unsure of ourselves. Figured it out before the penalties started rolling in. The penalties were a product of Tampa's consistent pressure, and we found a four check. Then in the second period, it's 
I mean, Dallas has, what, four straight power plays? I mean, that's tough because you can't roll your lines the way you want to. So we get completely out of sync. Then Dallas scores in the third period early to make it 3-2. to two. And what do you know? You've got yourself a hockey game. And the final 10 minutes, we did a pretty good job. We allowed one shot plus a whiff chance by Jamie Benn earlier in the third period. I know we, we can all look back at the one, uh, the furious net mouth scramble between the circles. Vassie makes a big save as that puck is like a jumping bean and it lands on, on Jamie Benn's stick and Vassie has to come up huge as it bounces over Hetty's stick. But there was another chance in front of the net where Benn misses high. So all in all, we had some good chances there. We played better than Dallas. We closed it out. And it's an important way to win. There have been times in this postseason, the round robin and or uh, the flow of a 60-minute game in the playoffs itself where a one-goal lead was not held. It was in this case, and now you've got a 1-1 series. And now Dallas is in trouble. I honestly thought when we got that win and I exhaled, whoo, because they had that one face-off with about three seconds to go. And, of course, they won that face-off. You get out of that one, and now it's on. You're playing a best of five, and I think the, the officials and the whistles are going to be less of a factor, and it's more five-on-five hockey. Good. It's benefited us the whole time. And I suppose ahead of game three's breakdown, this is as good a time as any to give you context on Steven Stamkos. So I had gotten a tip, and this is Thursday morning recording, so I guess that would be Monday, that he might be able to go. He might be able to go in game two. But then the morning skate went such that he, he was playing with the, uh, with the scratches, getting extra instruction, and he thought, all right, maybe not yet. But he had been imminent for a long time. I mean, really, it was just on the brink. And it was a matter of all the right players saying, and by that I mean the medical staff, the coaching staff, Stephen himself, all saying, good to go, good to go. Need consensus here. So I had heard on Monday that there was going to be a lineup change, and I got really excited. I mean, I did. I was like, whoo, here we go. That power play is about to get a whole lot better. Little did I know it would score on its own without 91 on that half wall. Instead, it was Andre Palat scoring from there. But all right. And then I found out it was Jan Ruda <laughs> who was the lineup change. And Bogosian and Shen weren't going to be there. And, and Verhage draws in because we're going 12 and 6. Um, brief context on that. Now that we're out of it, uh, I got a tip that Jan Ruda in the round robin had a fracture. He broke something. And so, therefore... Don't be surprised if Bogosian draws in, was what I was told. And don't be surprised if you hear unfit to play about 44 Jan Ruda. All right. Well, he healed up, and and then he was ready to get back in there, and, and he was a little rusty. But anyway, I thought I'd see 91, and we got 44 instead. So, damn it. A little frustrated. Then Tuesday night, heading into the Wednesday morning skate. They were going to give it a go. He was going to take the morning skate, take line rushes like he was going to be a part of the game plan, like he was going to be one of the four lines. He was going to play within the, those four lines. Morning skate went well. But still, the people around the situation, all, they're hedging their bets at this point because how many times is this roller coaster? I mean, it was like watching him on the bench, off the bench last night. That's what it's been like times a million behind the scenes with Stamkos. We think he's good to go. He's not good to go. We think he's good to go. Is he in the bubble? I don't know if he's in the bubble. You sure he's in the bubble? You're saying he's in the bubble. Yeah, it's been like that. And then he he plays. When he walked down that hallway, and you can find it at underscore Tom Lang, I put the Stone Cold Steve Austin music because he's got the strut down the hallway as he's passing the Dallas Stars locker room. Yes, he's going to draw in. And you could see the jump in everybody's step. 
But here's the thing about the Willis-Reed story that's probably not the same as the Stamkos story. As the legend goes about those New York Knicks teams, all they needed to see was a couple of minutes from Willis-Reed and a hook shot or whatever the baseline shot was that he hit. And they were inspired thereafter to go win it all because of the great Willis-Reed. I think we thought in Game 3, once Stamkos scored, to make it 2 to nothing, that we had won the Cup because we stopped skating. Everything came to a screeching halt. Like, it's okay for me on my couch to feel like, I think we're going to win this damn thing. That's fine, because I'm not drawing a shift in the next 15 seconds. But the team looked like they thought the moment that Kucherov scores off a terrible turnover, and then Stamkos follows up by beating a defenseman to a spot, and then making Hudobin pay for coming out on a bad angle, I think everybody thought it was over. All over but the shouting. And we forgot to play hockey. And Dallas didn't. Because they knew this is a dangerous spot for us right here. But if we can respond, here we go. We've got our chance to take a 2-1 series lead ourselves. And nonchalant play on the power play was the final symptom of sloppiness all around. If I did a great bold breakdown the last couple of weeks, I promise you I would have said, it's been in my text message chain with my fellow Bolts fans, Vassy is primed to make a dumb turnover and be the reason that somebody scores a goal. And twice he tried to last night. He's got to clean that up. We don't need any Ben Bishop 2015 Stanley Cup Finals things happening here. And he tried on two occasions last night with pure miscommunication or missed execution. And that was in that sequence of time before Dallas scores to make it 2-1. to one. Andre Palat makes like three poor plays in a row. And I thought that at the time Stamkos was healthy. I said, well, 18 just asked for it. Here comes 91 on the half wall because you can't have that. At any rate, Steven was done for the night. We regrouped, and in the second period, we do what the Lightning have done so often this postseason, which is respond. And the second period of Game 3 is probably the most dominant period of hockey I've seen in the John Cooper era in the playoffs because of the situation, because of the magnitude of that moment. Obviously, Victor Hedman's goal to make it 3-1 to one early in the second period sets the tone because maybe, maybe it goes either way. But it's a bit of a backbreaker for a Dallas Stars team that's trying to surge and respond, continue the momentum from the first period. And also, I don't know how sure we're feeling about ourselves after the way the first period finished and knowing that Stamkos at that point was not on the bench. But that's what Hedman's been this entire postseason. And I hope we get to have a consmite debate on Twitter or whatever in the waning moments of a cup-clinching victory. But there's no doubt in my mind that if Tampa is to close the deal, it is Victor Hedman who wins the consmite trophy. Just look at the first 25 minutes of last night's game. He tracks down and stops a breakaway without committing an infraction. Remember that play now? Could have been one nothing Dallas. Maybe the game takes on a whole different face. And given how this series has been played in spurts, teams peaking and then valleying, back and forth, alternating, who knows what that goal would do for Dallas in a 1-1 series. But Victor tracks it down, uses his reach, uses his superior hand-eye skill to tie up a stick without a hook, without a slash. No penalty shot, no penalty. And then he scores what ends up being the game-winning goal, but what I believe to be the most important goal. Even though Stamkos is the moment we're going to remember, Hedman's goal is the most important goal of the series to date. 
and he had a decisive one earlier in this playoffs too. A series-winning overtime goal. Now 10 goals for Victor Hedman places him third all-time. Bobby Orr, Brian Leach, 12 and 11 goals in a postseason respectively. Victor has 10, and all 10 of those markers have come in proper Stanley Cup playoffs play, not the round robin. If he scores one or two more, then he, I mean, he's on a Hall of Fame pace as it is for his career. But this only adds to the legend of 77. And I don't think there's any mistaking last night in the post-game press conference who the actual leader of this team is. And that is not to denigrate Steven Stamkos. He's just not available to be in the trenches nearly as much. That's why he sat on the bench when he was unavailable last night. He wanted to be a part of it, and he was a part of it, and he was an effective leader. But Victor sat at, in the middle between Kucherov and Stamkos last night in the postgame press conference because he is the center and the heartbeat of this team because he's playing enough to do so. And it fires me up because I love that guy. He has become my favorite Lightning player. I always wanted an Norse Trophy. If you listen to this podcast, I, you know, in the past, as a kid, that was the trophy. That was the one that Scott Niedermeyer won. You know, Nicholas Lidstrom won that trophy. Pronger. All these great defensemen. Ray Borg. Paul Coffey. Like, I wanted a guy like that. And we have one. Unless we get really fortunate as an organization, 77 is the best defenseman we'll ever see wear our jersey. On to the tactics of this series, what I've seen, what needs to be tightened up or continued or discontinued moving forward. We are two wins away. We as fans can think that. Hopefully the players just think about it at one game at a time because a lot could change in 28 hours. 8 o'clock puck drop on Friday. 8 o'clock puck drop on Saturday. Lightning fans, what an exciting time this is. Man, And we are so thankful that Bill Curry Ford presents the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Start shopping for all of your car needs, truck needs, whatever it may be, at BillCurryFord.com. General Manager Sean Sullivan is there to assist you personally, and that's not a joke. You can email him, call him, text him, walk in, get to BillCurryFord.com. His information is there. He'll help you however he can. Bill Curry Ford loves hockey in the Tampa Bay area. A lot of hockey left to be played in this series, and Dallas is a worthy opponent. Told you their forecheck was physical, and they can really turn a mistake into a tic-tac-toe play. They're impressive offensively, aren't they? It's a big team. But the odd man rushes, I thought, that would appear. They're starting to rear their head. And why is that? What tactically has happened these first three games and what needs to happen for Tampa Bay? Well, first of all, this message from our friends at Bill Curry Ford. Bill Curry Ford general manager Sean Sullivan does not mess around when it comes to his love for Bucks or Bolts fans. He will help you personally by phone, email, or inside the beautiful Bill Curry Ford showroom one mile north of Raymond James Stadium. Sean Sullivan will give you a Scuttle Bucks. That's the other one I do. Joe Bolts fan, Joe Bucks fan discount. And he will truly do everything he can to help you at Bill Curry Ford. Everything. That's the family service you can expect from Bill Curry Ford. Tampa's first family of Ford for the past 60 years. Get shopping today at BillCurryFord.com. That's BillCurryFord.com. In game one, we got slapped in the face with the Ford check. That's right. Boston, just pick a cheek. Slappy, slappy. 
Our defensemen didn't know what to do with the puck. And if you notice, it still happens from time to time throughout the three games. We will circle back behind our net when it looks like we have a clear and easy path into the neutral zone. But we don't want to just dump it out. We want to get the puck to the red line, dump it in, and cycle. And what Dallas is doing is they're cutting off our ability. And we're second-guessing ourselves. There was a play last night by Blake Coleman in which he could skate the puck out and maybe get us in transition or if we're executing a change, get to the red line, dump, and then we move forward. Circles back. Plays it back to Sergachev and Chernak. Yikes. No, that's not what we do here, guys. That's not the pairing that you want pinned in our own zone. Sergachev makes a turnover. Surprise, surprise. Next thing you know, Dallas gets a point-blank chance in front of the net. Okay. What do we do? It's very simple. Forward support will help you counteract the Dallas forecheck. You're conceding a little bit when you allow the forwards to come back or you force them to come back to help us out of our own zone. We're not able to generate as much speed, nor are we able to generate the odd man rushes that I was talking about last week with as much frequency. But at this point, Dallas has decided the hell with it. They're going to be as aggressive as possible. Think the exact opposite of what Guy Boucher used to do back in 2011 with these Bulls. Because they don't want to let the motor start to rev up. Because if it does... With Tampa, with what we do offensively, then you're screwed. You're pinned into your zone for a minute, 90 seconds. And we've seen a bunch of that in the last two games, especially the third period of game one as well, where when we get rolling and cycling, they're going to be pinned. So Rick Bonus is trying to counteract that two ways. One, within the structure of their philosophy, which is aggressive. And two, the best defense you can play is when you're in Tampa's defensive zone, meaning our own offensive zone if I'm a Dallas Stars fan. So forward support in those key moments, when you see the defenseman circle back, how many times in the first three games has a Kevin Shattenkirk or a Mikhail Sergachev rifled a pass, a hope pass, that goes over a line or two, ends up being an icing? Can't have that. Forward support will help you out of your defensive zone. Number two, tactically speaking, Tampa has done a much better job the last couple of games of generating those odd mans. Take a look at the goal last night scored by Braden Point in the three-on-one. It depends on where the replay starts. That's who you're going to point to as the person who makes the play. If you start it a little bit too late, in my mind, Victor Hedman's pass that springs Nikita Kucherov is the one that you're going to look at and say, what a pass by Hedman. But in fact, that play is made by Jan Ruda, who had a really good night last night. He had an assist on the Stamkos goal, and if there was a tertiary assist awarded in hockey, he would have had one on the point goal, and he should have been awarded one because why does Dallas get caught in a bad change in the second period? They are assuming, and rightly so in most circumstances, that the puck is going to be buried behind our net. But it's not because Jan Ruta skates over from his defensive position, makes one hell of a play along the boards, pitchforks it out, to Hedman, and Hedman makes an area pass in transition because he knows the Lightning have numbers. But Jan Ruda makes the play there. So once again, it's in Dallas' DNA to allow their defensemen to climb up into the rush, to fall down below the circles in the offensive zone, and we have ample opportunities if we make a good area pass from there to generate the odd man pressure. And that's what happened in this game, game three, on that pivotal goal. So moving forward, you know, if we're in a situation where the game is tied or we're ahead, there is no need to allow Dallas to cut off our zone exits. Get back. Help out as forwards. Don't get lazy. And part of that is laziness, and part of it is being so used to Columbus 
and the Islanders and what they do, which is they'll send a token forward in on a forecheck, but that's a, in no real circumstance or pressure to us. They're only there in case of an emergency or a terribly dumb play. See the Ryan McDonough turnover last series. When two men are in the offensive zone, two-on-two is not a good situation in zone exits, especially when Victor Hedman's not on the ice. That leads me to another observation. I don't really want to talk about this too much because I fear I will jinx it. But Ryan McDonough is playing really well, and I am knocking on wood because he needs to continue to play well. He and Shattenkirk, that's an okay pairing. I'd prefer that he was with Chernak and he break up 81 and 98. But he and Shattenkirk are okay as a pairing because Ryan McDonough is playing really responsible hockey. He's making good plays in the margins and the gaps, the offensive blue line, behind our goal line, smart plays to get the puck out of the zone if he needs to. Very situationally aware, but I'm knocking on wood because when he goes bad, it is the streakiest, most terrible-looking thing. I mean, he looks like a sixth defenseman or a seventh defenseman, but when he looks good, then you can set him and forget him for 25 to 27 minutes. And if we're going to play six defensemen moving forward, that's something you're going to need out of him each night. 11-7 and seven or 12-6, and six, that's another point. If Stamkos is not available, and I'm going to assume that he's not, if you're not going to play in a 5-1 game in the third period to get your legs under you, when are you going to play? So I think, again, the legend of Stephen willis Reed Stamkos is, is locked in. I would, at this point, phase back to 11-7. and seven. Maybe you rotate one of the defensemen in or out in the back-to-backs, but it's hard to say. Back-to-back games make for a very difficult lineup decision for Coach Cooper. Maybe you go 12-6 and six one night, 11-7 the other, but if it was a straight-up every-other-night proceeding, I'd say that 11-7 and seven is the way to go to ensure in case Shattenkirk or Chernak or, or Sergachev is having a rough night in the defensive zone that you have a, a Luke Shen that you can fall back on or a Bogosian that you can fall back on. In terms of injuries, Bogosian or Shen, one of them's hurt and one of them's a healthy scratch. And Bogosian was part of uh, the morning skate a couple of days ago. So I, my guess is Shen is the one that, hurt, but, that is hurt, but I'm not totally sure about that. Moving forward also on the power play. Hallelujah, right? Sergachev is off the power play. He was standing in Steven Stamko's spot for far too long. Once we decided to phase Victor Hedman up to PP1, which should have been a decision made weeks ago, we kept Sergachev out there. And I, he's on his off wing in Stamko's spot in that circle. The moment they made the shift to Andre Pallad over there, look what happens. Immediate pressure. Kalorn in front of the net. He draws in with that group. What happens? Immediate pressure. That is your group moving forward. And I think if you want to make adjustments from there, if Stamkos is not available, you switch Palat and Kucherov to really confuse Dallas penalty kill. Lastly, the penalty kill for Tampa. Hold on for dear life. It's just not that good. Dallas power play is good. Our penalty kill is not. Andre Vasilevsky has to seal you two minutes at a time. The next time I talk to you, a week from today, will be in the month of October, first of all, which is crazy usually the end of the preseason, start of the regular season for the NHL. And there will be a Stanley Cup champion. And if it's us, that is going to be one memorable episode of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. And I got to tell you, this is as nervous I've been uh, as I've been to do one of these podcasts since the first one. And it's not because I got the jitters of the microphone. It's because I've got the burden of the expectations. And and Friday, Saturday is going to be a fast and furious chapter. I mean, I, I look at it as one long chapter in the series. And it can completely flip on its head. 
if Hudobin plays out of his mind on Friday night and you lose 3-2, to two, now you've got that lost and empty feeling because you've got to turn right around and then win a pivotal game because it could be Monday night and you're down 3-2. It could be Monday night and you're on day three of celebrating a Stanley Cup or anything in between. But it's been one heck of a ride, and uh, I really appreciate everybody who's tuned in from the beginning of the Joe Boltz Fan Podcast this year through where we are now. COVID makes these strange times. We are all distant thunder, but hopefully, hopefully, by this time next week when we talk again, we are Stanley Cup champions. Thanks for listening this week, and I can't wait to talk to you soon.